0: Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project, a podcast by Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon, exploring how lawyers can turn expertise into thought leadership, and thought leadership into new business.
1: Jay, you and I are coming to the podcast today from the glorious Midwest. Um, And I have a question for you. I asked this of you offline. I wanna hear what your online response will be. So the groundhog saw his shadow in February. Exactly. How many times did he see that shadow? Because it's May and it's still freezing up here.
0: Yeah. No, you're right. I mean, our guest today is from the uh, the south, very much the south. So he's probably gonna he might be shocked by the fact that yeah, I think it was Tuesday morning. Woke up to about a half inch of snow where I'm at. So it's it's definitely still. You know, it's a. I guess it's a typical northern Michigan spring where I'm at. I guess. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah,
1: the guest selection was by design, so hopefully he's going to bring some warmth and sunshine to this podcast.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, well, let's let's bring him in. So uh, JB Pullius is joining us, and JB is formerly a practicing lawyer, and now he is a senior director with the national legal recruiting firm, Void Legal, and he is based in Austin, Texas, if I'm not mistaken, and um, we are- we are looking forward to talking to you, JB, about the legal market and the issue of legal recruiting, which is one we haven't really covered all that much on our podcast. So welcome to the show. No, thanks so much for having me. And uh, I'm glad
2: it's you guys and not me. That is to deal with snow in May. Um,
0: I would be complaining. Let's just put it <laughs> As we yeah. are. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, JB, uh, thank you for joining us. And so I think... We'll just kind of give people a setup on where we're going to take this conversation today, at least according to our, our general framework. But I, I think it would be interesting to talk a little bit about kind of where things stand with the legal market, the legal hiring market. I think it's been such a interesting issue over the last couple of years. Um, we'll, we'll dial it back. And I think maybe remember the fear everyone had way back, you know, maybe two years ago now, and then how that changed so dramatically. And we've seen this incredible hot legal market and it must be an exciting time to be a recruiter so we're going to start there and then dig into things that people should be thinking about if they're looking to make a move want to put their best foot forward we'll cover linkedin we'll cover a bunch of different topics but let's start generally with kind of maybe just take us back a little bit and, and where we at, where we're at now and maybe where we're headed um just with the market in general because i think it's been a wild ride not happy to. Uh,
2: it has been wild. And while I can say definitely, it's been a great time to be a legal recruiter in the past year and a half, probably one of the best times ever. Um, not sure if it's been the best time to be an attorney. It's been interesting. Let's just put it at that. You know, 2020 was very slow. Just a lot of fear and uncertainty in the market. Um, Not really sure what's going to happen. You know, offices closing, remote work, some firms being better suited for remote work than others. Some firms doing extremely well with it and other firms really struggling. Uh, But for all the The slowness and kind of uncertainty in 2020, 2021 was just insane. I mean, no one really saw it coming. I think everybody knew there was going to be a bounce back from the low of 2020, but no one really saw what was coming and what it ended up being. And it's just, Almost across the board, this insane rush to hire. Uh, And it's definitely more centered in the transactional practices, corporate capital markets, um, private equity. I I mean, those are the things that were really driving it. But I don't think anybody really expected the level of need that was going to be out there. And there's firms that, as far as I know, were breaking records in lateral hires, particularly on the associate space. And just everything that comes with that was just really surprising. Again, great for a legal recruiter and great for associate attorneys, honestly, but for law firm leadership, uh, it was an interesting time, I'm sure, just with the the sheer volume of a need based on the, the kind of relative um, you know shortfall of available talent that just creates environments where firms have to get insanely aggressive. The amount of money that was being tossed around, the speed at which everything had to happen, it, it's insane. And Truly, it hasn't really slowed down and we don't really see that coming anytime soon. There's a lot of doom and gloom, of course, people talking about uh, recession and slowdown in the a practices. But from our perspective, we're kind of reacting to what we're seeing, and, and we're just not seeing anything slow down yet. Um, naturally, I think it'll, it'll taper off a little bit, but there's still a huge demand out there for talent, both on the associate and partner side. And if you're an associate uh, or a partner, it's a great time to be thinking about your situation and how best to move forward forward uh, and, you know, changing some things maybe if you don't or or aren't supremely happy with your current situation.
0: Yeah. Um, One thing that struck me as interesting when it came to just thinking about the the current state of the market um, is the Thomson Reuters Georgetown state of the legal market report that comes out every year. Um, The 2021 version came out late last year. Um, I think it was really interesting. It's the first time I usually read that report every year because it's Pretty interesting, and it's got a lot of interesting data in there. It's the first time I remember hiring being so such a centerpiece of that report. I think yeah. it, it statistics I remember um, were that I think there was about twenty. The average firm, maybe in the AmLaw 200, had like twenty-five to thirty percent associate turnover. You know, over the over sort of the rolling twelve-month period. That's a, that's crazy, right? Because you know we talk about the investment that firms are making in each lawyer that they hire, and to have that sort of turnover is is wild. And then also, um, I think you know, that for hiring and retention being the biggest threats that law firms saw for 2022 to their profitability, I've never seen something like that either. It's usually economic slowdown or, you know, competitive threats, that kind of thing. Um, talent, uh, attraction and retention being the number one and number two threats was pretty interesting. So yeah, I guess that just puts a punctuation mark on the fact that this is a serious, um, this is a serious issue for for firms across the country,
2: really. Absolutely. And honestly, I mean, they, they have to service the demand, right? And, and there's all this talk last year and the, the very end of 2020 about the great resignation, right? I think it's like an attractive headline, something that makes, you know, kind of grabs attention, makes you want to read an article with that in the title. But I heard it described in another place as the great reshuffling. And I, I think like to the legal market itself, I almost think that's a better way to describe it because- you know, it is true that a lot of people left the practice of law or they left law firms and went in house, but really what's happening is just people were moving from firm to firm. So the turnover numbers aren't like a, a giant swath of people that are leaving the practice of law together. They're just going to other places and there's winners and losers in that battle, right? I mean, it, there's there's firms that, they absolutely crushed it in 2021. I mean, they had record profits, made an insane amount of hires. Uh, and there's firms that probably didn't come out where they would like to in that battle. and now they're probably the ones that are really trying to, to kind of make up for that this year. Um, but yeah, it's just been an insane time. you know. Um, again, I keep going back to it. Great thing for a legal recruiter, but insane thing for for uh, law uh, legal professionals at the leadership level of these law firms to deal with. Uh, and another thing that it was really surprising, maybe not surprising, but just how much migration there was from major markets to smaller markets. I mean, in Texas, in Austin specifically, the numbers of, of transplants, right, people from New York or DC or California that came to Austin, uh, it's insane, you know, and, and that isn't slowing down either. Um, so we're seeing a lot of interest in smaller markets, you know, we saw offices opening in Austin from major, major firms, Miami, Salt Lake City, uh, and I think it's just like a, a notice of a trend that's developing where people are realizing that, wait a second, you know, in the big law space, particularly, you mean, I can move to Dallas and make the same amount of money that I'm making in New York, doing the same thing, but spending, you know, half as much in taxes or or where I want to live. And people are really taking advantage of that.
1: What about on that same note? um, I was going to ask you about remote work and how that obviously affects things, right? Because when you're working from your home, a big back in the old days, a big calculus of job change was, all right. It, how how does my commute change do I need to move to facilitate a better commute all of these things just made the whole process a lot more to like think about and maybe slowed it way down but now with remote work your environment is your environment and that doesn't change you close your laptop on a Friday and you open up on Monday and you're in an entirely different firm and nothing's changed so right. I'm curious how that affected things I think that's somewhat intuitive but with people returning to work, will that slow any of this down in your mind? I don't know. It, it's it's hard to say exactly what's going to happen
2: with remote work because I think there's still a lot of uncertainty in the law firms themselves on how they're going to approach it, right? Because there's this constant, I think, battle going on between sometimes the younger generation of attorneys that really like the remote work, um, and then the, you know the newer attorneys that that's all they've known at this point is just remote work, and then the kind of the, the older or older breed of attorney that have been in the business and really understand the benefits. Of of that person-to-person interaction that are kind of pushing back against it. And at the very beginning, it was a necessity. If you wanted to keep the business running, you had to embrace this. And there were firms that were ready for that. uh, And they're the ones that really benefited from the interest, I guess, especially on the associate side in remote work, because there's a lot of, just like you say, trying to cut down on commute, trying to uh, get more of their life back. Right. I mean, we, we kind of lose track of the fact that as an attorney, the job is hard enough and time consuming enough as it is, you tack on all these extra hours that you might be spending dealing with the things that go into going to an office. Uh, and then you spend some time at home, all of a sudden you get to see your kids a lot. You, you know, you get to deal with, you get to, you know, take a, go, go work out at lunch and come back home. I mean, the, the possibilities are endless. It just opened up a lot of people's minds as to, do we actually have to be in an office to do this job? Uh, and even certain practice areas where I thought it was going to be particularly challenging, maybe in litigation, um, You know, there's exceptions, but for, for the most part, it, it happened pretty well. And, and the firms uh, kind of pivoted uh, impressively quickly to the remote work environment. And in doing so, that's going to have effects on, on the market from for a long time. And we still have a lot of people that come to us uh, talking about trying to find remote opportunities and they're out there. Um, It's just gonna be interesting to see the long-term effects of basically two entire junior class years of attorneys that have been operating at the full remote kind of situation that are missing out on things that they don't even now realize what they were missing out right? That person-to-person interaction, sitting down at a table with a partner, going over a contract together, um, they think it's okay. And in some sense it might be, and this may just be the the evolution of the practice of law itself, but I know that they're missing out on certain things. And I'm curious to see what happens when they start to realize this, you know?
0: Yeah, I can't agree more. I mean, I think back to my first year of practicing law, and I probably spent an average of two to three hours a day just sitting in a chair across from a partner just absorbing, right? Taking notes, like watching how they operate, listening to how they conduct conference calls. So that's, that is a, it is a big missed opportunity um, for people. And, and I I also wonder, I share your, your concern and and curiosity as to how that will impact people. Um, So let's shift gears a little bit away from kind of the big picture of the marketplace to a little bit more of the nitty gritty of, you know, speaking to the lawyers out there who, you know, whether they're in the market for a new job or not, um, everyone should kind of understand how to put their best foot forward and always be putting their best foot forward. So a topic that our listeners uh, care a lot about is LinkedIn. And obviously LinkedIn is important from a recruiting standpoint. So maybe you can just talk a little bit from your perspective based on, you know, some of the things you've seen done well, some of the things you haven't seen done well, (laughs) when it comes to like the LinkedIn environment about, you know, again, putting your best foot forward uh, at any point in time and certainly when you're looking for a new job.
2: Yeah. And uh, this is coming from somebody that's more and more trying to use LinkedIn to my advantage and, and, and you know, thought leadership and developing a personal brand and all of that. So uh, it's something I I'd certainly take personal kind of interest in. Um, but LinkedIn has been It's been interesting a lot of different ways. I mean, I've been using LinkedIn in various capacities for a long, long time, but only until recently did I kind of look at it as a way to really kind of get myself out there and try to help me build networks and things like that. And, you know, at the very beginning, it kind of seemed like attorneys were using LinkedIn. It's like a job board, a way to kind of get your name out there, a way to network with people, but it didn't seem like it was crucial to the practice of law, especially um, or as it pertains to like a lateral movement from firm to firm. But I've really seen that change. And I think that there's some really interesting ways that you can use LinkedIn, not only to create content, build a personal brand, but much more practical ways um, to kind of evidence your interest in certain areas of law. And over the past few years, you know, with the changing economy, with everything that happened with COVID, we're seeing certain niche specialties uh, kind of arise out of all of that. I mean, we're seeing it in renewable energy. We're seeing it in the fintech space with crypto and all of that kind of stuff. And as as it kind of always happens, you know, more senior attorneys that are in that game, right? People that have been doing the renewable energy work since way before it was cool. They want to attract people and they want people to come work for them and with them that really have a passion for that stuff. And I think LinkedIn is one of the only ways that you can really evidence that passion in how you portray yourself to the outside world as a, as a professional and as an attorney. Um, You know, it's, It's not enough just to say that you're interested in these things. They're looking for more than that because everybody wants to get into these hot areas of practice, particularly in Texas, where we go through this energy transition from traditional oil and gas to renewable energy. Everybody wants to get in it, but not everybody can get in it. And so the people that are the decision makers, they want to know that you're truly interested. And the best way to do that, in my mind, is to use LinkedIn to your advantage by, you know, getting in discussions with people that are talking about renewable energy, by sharing articles and topics about renewable energy. So where, you know, you're sitting across from... A table with a hiring partner or something like that and they're trying to kind of vet out your true interest and make sure you're not just saying you want to do renewable energy because you know it's a busy area of practice. Um, They can actually go through and they will. They'll look at your LinkedIn profile. They'll look at at what you've done online and what presence you have and if it's obvious to them that you're not just talking and that you actually do participate in these discussions and share this information and try to put yourself out there in that space, it's going to give you a huge up. Uh, and there's still attorneys out there, even younger ones that don't have LinkedIn profiles, which just blows my mind. Um, you know, you don't have to be a content creator necessarily to make the most out of LinkedIn, but you should take time to kind of think about what image you're portraying to the rest of the professional world and how you evidence your interest and your areas of specialization and things like that.
1: What, what about, um, In a lot of industries, sort of size of network is actually, I don't know if that's going to get you hired in and of itself, but it's a a reflection of the person and their influence maybe. Is any of that factored in? Because uh, a network of zero on LinkedIn says something and a network of 10,000 contacts says something to a potential employer. So how does that factor in if it does at all?
2: I think it does. You know, I, it's hard for me to say to the exact extent because I think it's going to matter to some people more than it's going to matter to others. But, I mean, look, your network is your network. And in, in, in increasingly, as time goes on, I mean, your network on LinkedIn is much more tangible and real than maybe it was 15 years ago. You can actually use it to network with clients and and things like that. So I think it's a, I think it's a huge deal. And, I mean, it helps you in ways, too, where, I mean, using a recruiter is not the only way to go find another job as an attorney. You can do these things on your own. And in some sense, um, sometimes it's maybe a little bit easier. And if you're cultivating an active network and you're putting yourself out there, you're going to find that people are willing to help you. And the, the bigger your network is, the more reach that you have, uh, and the more likely you're going to get something back from it. Um, but you know, when we send, uh, particularly on the partner side, because I do a lot of partner recruiting, the things that we send to firms a lot are a firm bio and a link to their LinkedIn profile. Uh, and it even matters at that, at that level, because it's just an easy way for, for firms to see, you know, who is this person? What have they been up to? What do they think? Uh, it gives kind of a window into their mind a little bit more than, just a bio world.
0: Yeah, and I think that makes sense. The one thing I want to just follow up on is this notion of, you know, kind of pursuing and highlighting like a niche uh, area of expertise or, or interest. And I think that the thought leadership, creating content, it's not only a great way to learn a subject matter, you know, right? There's nothing that can clarify your thoughts around a topic more than writing about it. Um, especially writing in public, because you're going to have to learn, you have to think deeply, you're going to have to be curious, all that kind of thing. But, you know, to me, someone who's an active content creator around a niche topic like crypto or fintech in general or, or renewable or whatever whatever the subject matter is, um, you you put yourself in a position of getting on people's radar screens where you go from a position of having to apply for a job to potentially getting recruited for a job right like someone's picking picking you before they even open things up to a pool of candidates so if you want to get on someone's radar screen like be a visible expert uh and and get your ideas out there because you're gonna get people are gonna take notice I couldn't agree more.
2: And, and honestly, this is becoming a much more common thing. You know, it probably wasn't heard of 20, 30 years ago for firms to go out there and on their own try to actively poach talent from other firms, but those days are gone. I mean, what kind of goes back to this war for talent that's been going on over the past year and a half? To make make it easy for these firms to find you, you know, and especially in these niche areas of practice, um, they have to Kind of, it has to be obvious, right? And and if they see you out there, if they see you creating content, if they see you doing the things that you're doing, and and evidencing that evidencing that interest, then it makes it a lot easier for them to to reach out to you in a pretty uh you know direct way to to yeah
0: absolutely directly recruit you. It happens all the time. Yeah. So let's shift now again. We we're talking about some things you should be doing uh, when it comes to putting your best foot forward. What I guess what are some areas that people are are screwing <laughs> up whether it be on linkedin or, or otherwise like in the recruiting process or yeah. or even interview process like if you had a couple like here's here's two or three things that just happen all too often and are are like totally um, unforced errors. What what might those be? Yeah,
2: yeah. Well, it another thing that's been interesting to watch, like the development of LinkedIn. You know, this is coming from somebody that spends basically all day on LinkedIn, not necessarily making content, but just using it as a tool to reach out to people and to recruit. Um, as its popularity rises, the more traffic it sees, and the more people start getting into posting on LinkedIn and treating it as a social network like Twitter or something like that, and I think that creates A little bit of danger. I think you have to be able to maintain a professional attitude towards the things that you're talking with people about on LinkedIn, um, because your employers see that. They might not go look at your Twitter feed or your Instagram feed or something like that, uh, but they're going to look at the things that you're doing on Instagram. And if you're, I mean, sorry, uh, things on LinkedIn. And uh, if you're getting into highly charged political debates, if you're making comments kind of off the cuff, uh, it might work for certain content creators that are trying to elicit those responses out of people. But if you're an attorney, or any professional, really, just stay out of it, you know, it's not going to serve you, no one's going to hire you because you dunked on somebody on LinkedIn and got a bunch of people laughing, as you, you know, in the comments below, you got to be professional about it. And I see it more and more. Um, and it's still I wouldn't say a huge problem, but it, it could be. If you say the wrong things at the wrong time or to the wrong people, you don't, you never know who knows uh, the people that you're speaking with. Um, That's definitely one. I mean, this isn't really related to LinkedIn, but I think it does just go towards the overall state of the market, the overall just kind of playing field of the legal profession in general. But if you're not happy about something in your professional life as an attorney, this is the best time ever to try to do something about that. And I see a lot of complacency and of people that think, well, you know, big law is big law or being an attorney is being an attorney. I don't need to go look around or at another opportunity. It's going to be the same thing, but that's just not true. I mean, it's verifiably not true. Um, And so if you're complacent, uh, if you're unhappy, if you just got crushed in 2021 and your mental health took a beating, you don't have to maintain that. You don't have to stay in that same kind of static situation. You can do something about it, especially right now. So that's another big thing that I tell people is just take control of your own life. You know, be be the change that you want to see, right? Um, another thing that I saw was just especially on the with attorneys and and how they're practicing at law firms there was a huge interest in getting out of the practice of law traditionally and going in-house or something like that and while that could be a great thing i'm not saying that that you can't have a great career as an in-house attorney i think a lot some people were using that as a as a way to think that it's going to solve Their problems, whenever a lot of their problems were just related to the craziness that we just discussed that happened in 2021 and things like that. Be careful about jumping in house too early or jumping in house just because you have the opportunity. Um, They're not all created equal. Some in house positions can be far worse than what you might have experienced at a law firm. And I just have seen that way too much. and if I might add one other thing, especially in today's environment, you know, money's great and the, the, the numbers that are being thrown around and signing bonuses and everything like that, particularly in big law, it's, it's obviously going to be a driving factor in what a lot of people are doing, but you owe it to yourself to not just consider the money. I mean, if, if there's a firm out there that's using that as the sole you know, negotiating tactic, there's probably a reason for it. And once you get in, you might not like what you see. So if you're out there trying to better your situation, better your, your status of life, better your quality of life, money's great, but you can't look at it as the only thing that matters. And I know people say that all the time, but even sometimes associates that come into the lateral process saying money is not the most important thing. Sometimes it ends up being the most important thing, and uh, you know you hate to see it, but people are going to do what they do. I would just urge people to really consider how you might go about making your situation better because money's probably not going to do it.
1: I have a quick question. As some, sure. I'm not obviously a legal recruiter, but I've recruited in the past, and I'm curious what you see the differences are. Maybe we could pick on both generations or multiple generations. So are there differences in terms of omission or commission errors that you see either the let's call them older generation or younger generation and I'll I'll lead the witness a bit. So I've noticed that younger generations for whatever reason feel maybe more entitled to opportunities and as a result they seem to be less responsive. They might let six days go uh, without responding to an email something like that. Um, Don't know how you see that in, in your, uh, the legal environment, but also that an older generation might be someone like we said earlier, they don't see the value of say LinkedIn. So there's not on LinkedIn because they quote unquote, don't do social media. So I'm curious as a recruiter, if you are, do you evaluate them through the prism of, well, I kind of, some of this is baked in just because of the generations and you expect it, or do you, do you hold everyone up to this uh, high standard? And if you <laughs> right, if they're not recruitable, they're not recruitable.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, it depend whether somebody recruit is recruitable or not. Really, kind of depends on your niche as a recruiter. Because I mean, we all are doing specific things. So some people we might not be able to help, just basically, just simply because of what it is that we're trying to do or who we're recruiting for. I mean, especially in the bigger law firms, the the credential requirements, those things always come up. But um, you know, generational differences. <laughs> you shouldn't become a legal recruiter if you're not prepared to be ghosted by people. It happens all the time. I mean, people sometimes aren't all serious, right? They're curious, but then they kind of get the information that they need. Maybe they decide not for me and they don't hear from them. That happens all the time. But I have noticed a, a, a larger tendency of the younger generation of attorneys to kind of just do away with the common courtesies that come in involved in, uh, in, in kind of following up with people, right? Thanks. No, thanks. A lot of times they'll just kind of let it go to the wayside where I don't see that so much, um, in the, the generation of attorneys that have been around in this business for a long time. And I think some of that honestly is just because of the current situation and the way it has been over the past few years, with the exception of 2020, um, you know, older attorneys, and I would probably consider myself in that, same genre. It wasn't easy for us to find opportunities. Uh, you know, some of us for sure, but for the vast majority of us, you know, coming out of law school after 2008, it was difficult. But now, you know, if you're already in the world, especially if you're in big law, there's opportunities coming at you left, right, and center, and it creates—I don't want to say a cockiness, but in a kind of confidence that makes you think that mm, I can kind of do what I want. And I think sometimes. It, uh, it doesn't come across as the right, the best way, I guess I would say. And, and it makes people a little bit cavalier in how they approach some of these things. Um, but I don't know if I've seen such a huge change in the way that, you know, the this whole situation has affected how um, the older generation of attorneys, the more experienced generations of attorneys operate, other than complaining about the younger attorneys, which you see that quite a bit. Uh, but Yeah, it's uh, it it has been interesting, but I I think that you know I I I can't say that I've seen much much of a change in the the more experienced uh, of our colleagues that are out there.
0: Awesome. Well, JB, maybe that's a good place to wrap. Um, that was interesting. Maybe we'll have to have you back in I don't know six to twelve months. (laughs) Make make this a regular feature and see where see where things stand at that point in time. So so this is great. So why don't uh, I guess. Uh, certainly we will link up to your LinkedIn profile in the show notes um, anything else that you want to where you want to send people um, to learn more about you find out what you do
2: oh, I wish I had Twitter handles and things like that I'm probably yeah. on Twitter but I never use it uh, you can definitely <laughs> find me on LinkedIn I'm um, just under JB Polius uh, you can find me on Voilegal's Legal's website um, yeah any any parting words I might add is just like I said before, if you're in a situation that you don't feel is the best for you, either professionally or mentally or what have you, do something about it. You're probably not going to see a market like this in some time. And if the recession comes or the correction comes that everybody seems to be thinking is around the corner, uh, things might change abruptly. So take advantage of this, of the opportunities that are out there right now, for sure, whether it's through a legal recruiter or otherwise, do something about it.
0: Yeah, I think that's great advice. I, right, I think that's a big... Um... I guess a blinder perhaps that people who are new to the profession who haven't lived through something like 2008, 2009, um, you know, that's a, it seems like a distant memory or, uh, you know, just like a, a, the old way that, and things change, but it's going to come back at some point. So I, I agree. Do do something if you need to do it. Um, so anyways, well, this is great, JB. Um, appreciate you coming on Tom, any parting thoughts or are we, are we wrapping here? We're wrapping,
1: but if we do this in six to 12 months, we're going to do it on location in the Southwest.
0: Bring it. Yeah. I'm ready. that. <laughs> right. yeah. Barbecue. Um, yeah, I love it. We're going to definitely do that.
2: <laughs> I boil All right. some crawfish. So I'm from New Orleans, so maybe we can set something like that up. <laughs> it's, it's a deal. <laughs> it.
0: All right. Perfect. All right, JB. Thank you. And thanks to our listeners. Uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the thought leadership project. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, visit thethoughtleadershipproject.com.